sometimes the Dharma is meant to just be a little bit beyond our grasp. Why? Because the mind can't really grasp the truth. So it's always a little bit ineffable. It's a little bit like if you can't completely lock it away and figure it out, that's actually good. That's good. So if what I'm saying is always a little bit like, huh, what? What is this thing about no thoughts? Like, let that just be there. And that's the beauty of the Dharma. I, I love Dharma talks, like throughout my career, 35 years, I would just be like, wow, there's some talks you're like, what are they talking about? <laughs> but in a good way, right? And you want that the Dharma to be a bit out of your grasp. And just relax into that like you're listening to rain. I suffered a lot last year with health problems for my husband and myself. All these things were so overwhelming. How does one deal with all these things that seem to be hitting you all at once? I think it's a lot, Michelle, like the eye in the storm and just realizing like in 2021, you were in that, that kind of shit storm, that hurricane. <laughs> and sometimes all you can do, and whether it's a mental health, because you've been through the mental health shit storm as well, all you could do is just go, oh, I'm in the storm. And all you could do is maybe just try to lay low and get through it, right? But now, as you're saying, like, how do I reset? And the reset is to go, okay, that is not happening now. Just like we do with trauma flashbacks. When someone's having a trauma flashback, often the treatment is look at your hand. You know, you have an adult hand. You don't have a child's hand now. You know, look at the calendar. Look at the trees outside. It's no longer fall. You know, it's it's now it's this season and we get so caught that we're still caught back there. We have parts that are still caught back in survival mode. The more you can see when you have parts now that are thriving, say you're in a, you know, the shower and it's warm and you can actually relax for the first time you can get a good night's sleep, like start to acknowledge in your body, the thriving times. Mm -hmm. Right, because we're so stuck in that Broca's brain hippocampus survival mode that we kind of start to miss the pleasant. And you know, because you're a meditator, just start to let the pleasant sink in. You know, oh, my husband's walking around now. He's he's doing okay. Or you know, whatever is actually like neutral or pleasant. Mm -hmm. What's thriving. Um, we could be afraid that's going to come back and you can, you know, work with that um, part that worries about it coming back and just saying, okay, it's here. We're here now. It's okay now. Okay. Now is a really good thing to remind yourself over and over. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Now, whether you're going to the future or the past, the present moment, and they showed this in the Holocaust with people, um, you know, the people that could stay in the present moment were the ones that survived, not ones that could imagine a better future or were, went into the past, but the present moment, Viktor Frankl really showed. Mm -hmm. Kind of just trying to update your brain. <laughs> yeah. 
basic psychology of updating our brains, you know, the cool thing is our brains take a long time to update, but if you really feel into your body and your solar plexus and your still point in your body, that they're already updated. So that that's the good thing. Your true nature is our is always okay. Every minute it kind of updates. It it doesn't really get traumatized. Um but make sure, lastly, I keep thinking of more little things, you know, a lot of eye contact that, you know, thanks to reset your parasympathetic nervous system, you know, a lot of those things, eye contact does that touch hugs, holding your dog, holding your husband, looking in his eyes, you know, just real, a lot of bodily type grounding things, breathing, yoga, you know, all the different ways, there's a whole number of ways I, I, I put out a handout and then a while ago on ways to reset your parasympathetic nervous system. Mm. Yeah. And stroking yourself with meta <laughs> every day. It's okay. It's okay. And remind yourself of your resilience. We got through that. Well, we got through that. We can get through anything and we don't want that to happen again. But we, we, you know, remind yourself of the warrior in you and the resilient parts and the amazing you that was able to know and to feel your way through inch by inch. And that wherever you can feel that resilient part really check in with her and mm -hmm. feel her and connect with her. Like we did that. You could be like an athlete going, we did that. <laughs> <laughs> Thich Nhat Hanh says in the five remembrances, my actions are my only belongings. My actions don't follow me after death. They say that our actions and our habits are reborn in Buddhism. And um, so that's entirely possible. But we do remake a whole new life. We do remake a life. And it might have the residual of the actions from a previous life, but we start all over trying to be the best this, the best that, and all the energy that takes. Yeah. So really find out what's the deepest part of you that's even beyond your actions or non-actions. You know, what, what is that you? Um, one last thing I'll say about it, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I have a candle lit today and the word Nibbana or Nirvana, Nibbana means whoo, to blow out candle. So yes, our actions continue. We light one candle to the next, to the next, to the next, right? Is it the same flame? Not necessarily, right? But it the flame does continue. But what I'm pointing to and talking about is the blowing out of that flame. And then what do you have? Do you have actions that continue? No. Ultimate 
this is ultimate freedom, is Nibbana blowing out. So there's no you that got blown out. There's no you that continues. So in a way, we're kind of talking about the more absolute lifetime after lifetime versus the ultimate sense. So, you know, don't be afraid to be someone who's blown out. Gone. In the here and now. It's a tall order, but why not? <laughs> and then nothing continues then. Yeah. The environmental crisis is getting more extreme. We've had a lot of extinctions, and it seems humans may be next. In this light, how is it that eternity has all the time in the world to awaken us? Yeah, great question. Well, that's because you have many, many lifetimes. So there's, I mean, if it's all one thing, Emily, like, and say awakeness is the only thing there is. It's the only game in town. Awakeness, truth, essence. Then it, it has all the time in the world to work on your character. And you get the Emily character this time. Next time you're a Donna or a Carl, right? And it's the essence coming back home to itself via you. And it did this through the Buddha, right? The Buddha had many lifetimes. It, it's, if essence is eternal, then, and infinite, then, I mean, you're still gonna, there's still movement within that, but ultimately, um, you could just relax and do the best you can, but everything will return to awakeness. If awakeness is the only game in town and it's the truth of everything that is, everything will return there. And, you know, some people say, well, what about evil? And, you know, again, my teacher, he just says it's, it's all part of one thing. So when you get difficulties, say the extinction of the planet, this is, you know, something that's here to mature our essence to coming back home, to mature us out of that illusion of all those mirrors, right? I mean, the only thing that happened is, you know, you, you got off of the truth and there's all the time in the world to come back to that and, and you will, you will. And again, it might not make a lot of sense and, um, uh, you you know if the time remember the idea of time is again something that the mind creates more and more when I just rest in the stillness I, I see that thoughts are what creates time when you're just in the stillness there there's no time so you have to play with that, but I I don't know. For me, when I first heard that, and actually Ajashanti also said that he said, you know, I guarantee you're going to wake up. It might not be this lifetime; it'll be another one. Everyone will wake up because it's kind of the function and true nature of everything. 
And for me, that was very relaxing when I first heard it, Emily, because I have such a striver. I was like, oh, great. that That's good. I mean, that doesn't mean you, you know, crack a beer and eat chocolate all day, but it just means that you can your psyche can sort of relax within that. It's like I talked about that the sun is dawning. Now the sun's going to rise. We can wait and wonder and, you know, wonder whether it's going to rise this lifetime or next. <laughs> but it will rise. Um, and it, it really begs this bigger kind of trusting. As far as, you know, the, the Buddha talked about there were many world systems. There's many dimensions to reality. There's many world systems. You know, the human, what we see, this plane of existence, it's just one of many planes of existence. The, everything's like a huge hologram with many dimensions, many levels. I mean, don't, don't think that we just, we know, we know what this is. So if you really could see it like in this multi-universal, multi-dimensions beyond what any of us could conceive, then it might start to make sense that um, it's bigger than we think. <laughs> yeah, because we think of, even when we think of lifetimes, we think in a linear way. And try to get yourself out of a linear thinking. Think about more holographic, everything affecting everything else throughout all of time forever and no time. But And then you'll start to get a sense of what you, Emily, are. <laughs> it's like, whoa, what's that? Versus I'm a moment in time or a person in time trying to wake up. Yeah. And again, that previous question could relate, like you think, oh, my actions, and then they do this. And just think about holographic. And even that's limited to our mind. So, you know, we're very limited by what our thoughts can do. <laughs> so, okay, thank you. Yeah. A question, uh, how does our identity slash story contribute to awakening? Where is the balance between awakening and our human conditioning? Hmm. Well, our, our, our story and our conditioning um, creates like traction or that it cr creates stress. And then that stress is something we're trying to wake up out of. Um, think about a little kid when they're like two years old and they're, are, they're trying to learn to walk and they've been crawling. And then they come up against the stress of like, oh, they want something up on the table. <laughs> so they're like, mm, mm. you know, they, often kids make that noise. They're trying to get up and stand so they can get something up on the table. So there's this stress that is getting created in their bodies and developmentally so they can reach to the next level. So our conditioning and our 
our story and what we go through is is kind of like almost like a school or a developmental process of um, us as a whole, us maturing to our bigness as a whole. So we think we're limited. That kid thinks that they can only crawl until they get that frustration, that stress, then they see, oh no, I can actually stand, right? So our conditioning and our stories create the stress so we can start to see bigger and bigger and bigger and move to our infinite nature, our infinite nature. And then you move through where you've created limitations on yourself or life has seemed to create limitations for you. And then you move into this bigger and bigger and bigger you. So it's a really a developmental maturation that's happening within each of our stories. And yeah, some people get way harder stories than others. Who knows why? Who knows why that is? Don't ask me why that is. I have no idea. But it's the stories are here to move us out of the stories into our infinite nature. I really make sure you have fun with it. You know, it, I think it's lost in Buddhism that my teacher just laughs and laughs all the time. And you know, a lot of great masters, they just laugh. Like Deepama, you know, laughing at people saying, oh, I have this problem and that problem. And she just laughs. It's like eventually you, you just see the play, the Leela, the play of life and everything. And um, we can treat it with wonder and love. But it's, you know, suffering is to mature you out of suffering, ultimately. Concepts are here to mature you out of concepts, thoughts are here to mature you out of thoughts. So think of everything as a, not that it's linear, there's levels, but everything's here to expand you to your magnanimous greatness. So you can know everything as you, everything as you know, nothing left out. Ultimately, what we're really doing, and this last thing I'll say about this question, is we're getting beyond separation. Think of a big lake, and you, you know, some of you might be in the Midwest, and you know, when they have a lake, they cordon off like a little swimming area with a rope. Well, that's what we do with the sense of self. We just put this little rope down on this infinite lake, and we're going, no, that that's where you swim, and that's that's the swimming area and, you know, and then we defend it and we put boys on either side and it, it, we just made that up. We just laid a rope down on top of the water. And so in the end, we just take the rope away. We take all the ropes away and then that's you. But this lifetime we cordoned off this one little area and then it, you know, that there we that wasn't necessarily true. 
it was and it wasn't. You take away the rope and you're just back to the truth. It's a big lake. It's not divided. The lake is not divided. I wanted to ask about the spiritual warrior. I feel an immense love for the earth, life, and all beings and animals. Is it possible that in unison as a constellation of lights, we can change the paradigm we're facing? Can we nurture different ways of perceiving? Yes, I love that. You kind of answered your own question. <laughs> it's like, whoosh, yeah, an energy almost like of a wave, both for you personally and it having collective significance. Yeah, and like you said, whether that includes activism or just an internal consciousness raising that like a collective um, awakening or consciousness, who knows? But yes, it's possible, of course. Um, you know, uh, they, they say in Buddhism that the moment of death is a hundred times more powerful than a regular moment. And I, I would add that, you know, suffering like things Michelle and her husband have been through when you're in these difficult moments, they take on a, a power, like a, a big wave or something. So there's a lot of energy here. And can we utilize that energy and have that fuel new levels of something? Yes, for sure, for sure. And whether it's you being a spiritual warrior or something else, yeah, definitely. And that's why I wanted to do this retreat to really get us behind. But the key, the only thing I'd say to make sure is you really know your orienting principle, really know, you know, what do you want to use this energy to do? So if you're like a sailboat that has a lot of wind on it, you want to know where your rudder is. You want to know what direction you're pointing it because, whoosh, you know, use that wind, but know what your orienting principle is. Do Are you here to use this to wake up or are you here to do some kind of service or activism? You know, just see everyone's going to be different. I don't know if you saw the movie, Don't Look Up, but the ending's really cool. Like everyone's doing something different. And um, and I, I, I saw that it, it doesn't matter what, like it's whatever anyone's doing with that energy of, you could call it annihilation or the threat of annihilation. It's their personal thing, just like our own death. We're each gonna own, do our own death in exactly the way we need to do it. And it'll be perfect. And my death and what I, the energy I put, that momentum of my death moment will look different than yours. But know what you want that momentum, how you want that momentum to direct you. And write it down, be clear what, if there's a tremendous energy and big winds are coming, 
How are you going to use that win? What, what are you going to stand behind? How is this going to change you? How is this going to redirect your heart and mind? And be really clear. And, and you know, in, in Vipassana, they talk about aiming and sustaining. Vitaka and Vichara. And they use it for a meditation object. But, you know, our whole world's going to become our meditation object now. And suffering might be, you know, more and more becoming our meditation object since COVID, as Michelle pointed out. So have that aiming quality so you can sustain whatever you need to sustain for however long, years, months, as things change, right? Have that aim. The arrow takes aim and then it sustains its path. So we're both doing that on the cushion and off the cushion. Know your, know what you're aiming at. Know what your orienting principle is. Know what your one teacher calls it your life posture. And then give that your all. And trust it'll be perfect, you know, whether you choose the inward focus or the outward focus. Trust in your truth, trust in your truth. Doesn't need to look like anyone else's. You know, last thing I'll say, um, everybody's doing the highest version of love that they know. And really to keep that in mind, one teacher told me that a long time ago. And at first I was like, what? But when you really see it, you know, some people think that by, you know, murdering another person or doing this or that, it's going to relieve their suffering. You're all operating out of the highest form of truth or love that we know. And we can only wish that everyone does keep moving up and developing and learning from their conditioning. And, you know, like we said, sounds like eternity will mature us all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.